This is a conversation with Ray Angry. He's a Grammy-nominated musician, pianist, producer, and composer. He's a founder of Mr. Goldfinger Music, composer for multiple award-winning movies and TV shows, and a frequent collaborator with the legendary group The Roots on the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. In this conversation, we discuss the magic of music, the magic of jazz, his approach in merging so many different musical styles and genres. We cover his writing process. And then he also shares some really fun stories of working with Prince and The Roots. This is no time. If you like what you see, then do hit subscribe on YouTube, follow on Spotify or rate 5 stars on Apple Podcasts. This project continues to take a lot of my time, money and efforts. If you'd like to see it continue, do consider making a donation on Patreon, Anchor. You can leave a gift on Instagram. If not through financial support, then do consider sharing these episodes, leaving your likes and comments. All forms of engagement, they really go a long way. For the forms of love and support, you can follow this channel on Instagram or Twitter or follow me personally. And now, it is no time. Winton Marcellus once said that the thing in jazz that will get Big Spiderbeck out of his bed at 2 o'clock in the morning, pick that cornet up and practice into the pillow for another 2 or 3 hours, or that would make Louis Armstrong travel around the world for 50 plus years non-stop. Just get out of his sick bed, crawl up on that bandstand and play. The thing that would make Duke Ellington, the thing that would make Thelonious Monk, Miles Davis, Charlie Parker, Mary Lou Williams, the thing that would make all of these people give their lives for this, and they did give their lives, is that it gives us a glimpse into what America is going to be when it becomes itself. And this music tells you that it will become itself. And when you get a taste of that, there's just nothing else you're going to taste that's as sweet. Mm. Very angry. Wow. First question. Yeah. I love Wayne Marcellus, by the way. That's, yeah, he's a big influence. What is it about music that makes you get out of bed? Just like all these other musicians. What is it about music that makes you put in all these hours? It's such a difficult line of work. It's such a difficult industry. What is this magic of music, this taste of music that Wynton Marcellus is talking about? And what glimpse of the future does it give you? It's a very, very... um Interesting question. You know, music for me, um, music is life. You know, it's about uh, overcoming your fears, discovering who you are, um, inspiring others, being inspired. So for me, I, I've I've always had a a longing to understand music on a deeper level, and also the effect that music has on people. Yeah. You know, so if I can use music as a way to heal heal someone then that makes me feel better. You know, I, I feel great. Like I've accomplished something. If I, if I written a song or if I played a gig and someone's like, man, that really inspired me. Like, what, you know, since a young cat or whatever, like, man, how did you do that? Or what, you know, those kinds of things, um, uh, you know, inspire me, you know, especially, and I love writing music and, and that whole process and getting up early in the morning, just, uh, it's, it's like, um, it's like taking your vitamins. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like giving yourself that time to meditate and to also, um, you know, sharpen your tools. You know what I mean? And so for me, that's, that's, you know, that's what's important to me about music is just really discovering those things within myself that, you know, that I want to learn or I need to sharpen um, so that I can fully express myself on a bandstand, on a computer, 
on a piece of paper, writing music, you know, um, because I truly love music and I, and, and for me, I want to use music as a, as a tool to make the world a better place. You know, I have this naive ambition that I want to change the music industry and change the way people think about genres and, and, you know, and, and also change the way musicians see themselves. You know what I mean? I feel like, you know, it's very important that we as musicians understand the importance that we have in society because we're poets and we're writers and we're storytellers and those stories need to be told through music and us also collaborating with filmmakers and, and whatnot. And so as far as the future, you know, I just hope that, you know, that people continue to discover um, who they are through the tools that we have available. I feel like technology is very important, but it's also important to, to uh, stay true to yourself and have a, some sort of identity with your voice, you know, your musical voice, you know, um, which is, you know, I mean, I can go on and on about technology and music, you know, the fact that, you know, you can work with someone online and they be in their home or you be in your home and you guys can create music together. I think there's an opportunity, you know, and there have been opportunities to make incredible works of art. We've seen the pandemic has forced us to do that. Um, and, but, you know, but to your point, um, Wenton Marsalis, Duke Ellington, Louis Armstrong, like all these guys that you named, man, these are my heroes, man. You know, and and you know, I just pray that I can pick up where they left off and pass the torch, you know, to someone else and, and but just create something that's that leaves a mark on humanity. Especially, I mean, you know, blues and jazz, that's American classical music. And, you know, we don't, you know, often give ourselves credit in that regard, you know. Um, but there's plenty of opportunities, I think, to reach across the aisle and, and get rid of genres, you know what I mean? And I think there's more that can be done in a world where we have people collaborating from different walks of life because essentially we're storytellers, you know? Um, and that's that's my take on it. There's multiple parts that I want to expand on. You're giving me so much to work with. Let's touch upon this very interesting statement that you made first, where you said that you want to use music as a tool to make the world better. Mm -hmm. Let's indulge in a thought experiment. Okay. Let's say there's a curse on you. All the music that you create, nobody in the world can hear it. Only you can hear it. Mm. That often happens. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's called a hard drive. <laughs> Let's say whatever you create, only you can hear it and it'll never be received by anyone else in the world. Do you think music would still mean as much to you if that was the case? Or do you think creating music for an audience, you sending it out to them, them receiving it, interpreting in that fashion and then gaining something out of it, do you think that's essential to your craft? So one feeds the ego and one doesn't feed the ego. Right. So for me, I would do music if, if, I, if I could only hear myself. If I could only, if I'm the only person I could hear when I'm making, I would still make music because music, um, I was speaking with, um, taking uh, composition lessons from this amazing man named Roger Dickerson. And we're talking about, you know, the, the art of writing, mm -hmm. the art of writing music. You cannot pay for that. The experience you get from writing something and having someone else play your music 
or or and also having someone hear your music and then them being like, oh my God, thank you. This is amazing. That feeling, you can't pay for that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um so for me, music feeds more than just the soul. It feeds the mind, body, and soul. Uh-huh. So it's it's uh, it's a full on experience. You know what I mean? So that's that's the way I think about it. Very so, beautiful yeah. the way you put it. Let's touch upon another thing you mentioned, where you spoke about reaching across the aisle and merging different class different styles of music. Let's talk about that. You've often said when you spoke about a process in previous interviews that. You believe you were a triple threat because here you were studying different musical styles and other people's artistry like Charles Covington, Jerry Allen, Art Tatum. You were studying different musical genres like classical music, rap, hip hop, jazz. You were open to everything. Of course, you started off with gospel music, started yeah. off in the church. Yeah. And you went on to say that those who have their feet firmly rooted in tradition are doing music a disservice. And I mm. find that a very interesting statement. Do you think it was a very bold move at that point? to try and merge these different musical styles and genres because they're such historical styles. They have so much tradition and protocol and structure. And there's so many people who yeah. don't want you to change even a bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you think it was a risk at that point? And was there a moment where you doubted yourself and thought maybe this is crazy? Okay. Well, first of all, I'm always doubting myself <laughs> and I always have crazy ideas. Yeah. But, you know, I'll say something that, you know, people don't often think about. When we talk about classical music, right, you know, you know, there was a period in music where it was called classical music. Yeah. But then from that, you have, you know, from that, you have, you know, romantic period. Baroque. You have all Baroque yeah. period. You yeah. have all these different periods. Of course. Yeah. You know, and so the fact that we're choosing to take this one word to name so many different things. Yeah. You know, and then you look at jazz and you see jazz starting in New York City, whether, you know, you say it's in the Bronx or you say, oh, it's in Brooklyn or it started here, you know, wherever you say it started, you know, it's definitely started here in New York. But the fact that it's in New York and now we're at the 50th anniversary of hip hop and you've seen hip hop in Japan, you see hip hop all over the world. You see so many people. The point I'm trying to make is that like history, life, Things progress, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes you have the merging of ideas and you have, you know, uh, situations where, you know, someone may not know you're not supposed to, you know, create music this way. Then you have a Jay Dilla who ends up creating a whole style of music just because he was learning how to use a drum machine and he discovered his own language. And now we're still being affected by that because he was such a genius. So I think um, tradition is very important, but I also think it's important to, to not um, stay in that one area. You know, I think it's important to use that as a point of discovery, but then I feel like there's so many, uh, there's so many uh, uh, ways to look at a picture and so many different ways to discover something uh, from one picture. So, and I feel like uh, it's just great to explore. Definitely not easy <laughs> to do. And such a difficult line to like try and tread through where you don't want to shun tradition in a sense that it's offensive, but you also want to do it in a way where it's something creative and something innovative comes out of it. I think yeah. you're doing a fantastic job there. Let's talk about another line that you mentioned where you spoke about the art of writing. You cannot pay for it. You cannot pay for experience. 
you've often described the writing process as a chess match. It's like a puzzle to you where you want to yeah. get out of this maze. Can you walk me through a specific example? Let's take one piece of work. What was this big question that you were trying to answer? And then how did you navigate your way through it? How did you get out of that maze? Um, so when I was working on my symphony, um, Black Athena Power, yeah. um, it, that, that problem did arise. But the solution I found um, in writing was um, everything is based off of theme and variations, you know? And so for me, it's, um, it's always finding solutions, you know? And I, and I think music is a great example to, um, to discover oneself and, and what you're made of because, you know, music is a very, um, very, um, uh, you know, music is a, is a very jealous lover, you know, <laughs> and uh, you got to figure out what she wants, you know. And so for me, um, you know, themes and variations of themes, that's what I, um, that's what I uh, kind of um, use as a way to, you know, find solutions. You know, that, I hope that makes sense. It does. Of course it does. Yeah. Let's, let's expand on that even further. You recorded Ray Angry One. And we're still talking about your writing process here. You recorded Ray Angry One when your parents passed away. And you've described in a previous interview that you just sat down and you started writing for three months and you never stopped. And everything just came out. And you had a similar experience for Ray Angry Three as well, where you just recorded in one day. Right. Yeah. And you've described the experience as being like a channel where you just tuned to something and music just flowed flowed through you. How do you view this writing process? Is it do you think it's important for musicians to put in a fixed number of hours each day? It's like an exercise, like a routine. And then maybe at the end, something good might come out of it. Or do you think it's more abstract in the sense that you have to be in touch with this energy, this flow, this vibe, music of some form. And the day it hits you, you need to have the skills to be able to harness it and exploit it. Um, honestly, man, it's, it's a little bit of all of that. Okay. You know, um, everyone's writing process is totally different. Um, for me, I like to, um, you know, it depends on the project. For example, when I was working on Ray Angry One, I wanted the rec I wanted the album to have a certain feeling. And, and so I chose to just turn off my phone, turn off everything because I, I feel like when you have that time alone to really focus and write and to really, um, discover what it is you want to say, that time alone um, just gives you um, the space to create um, and to discover. For example, like I spent, um, you know, a couple of weeks just watching old movies that I was inspired by because I wanted to create a certain mood with my album, you know, yeah. with Ray Angry One. And so I was watching um, a lot of Spike Lee movies. Right. <laughs> and... Um, and at first I was like, oh man, Terrence is kill killing, you know? And then I discovered, oh, this was Spike's father that was doing his music. That's who was, in, I'm, I was inspired by Spike's father, who was an amazing musician, amazing writer. Um, you know, uh, what was that? What was the film he did? Um, More Better Blues? Right. That was, that was a great one. And um and the there was another film that he did where he was um 
uh, actually, he put one of my songs in his new newest version of this film. I can't remember the name of the of the film that Spike did. Um, it was black and white at first, and then he did another one, a version of it. It was in color. Uh, She's got to have it. Okay. Yeah, that that film. Okay. Sorry, Spike. <laughs> <laughs> He's watching. <laughs> but um, I was so inspired by these by these movies and the way Spike used music in his films. You know, the the music was just as important as the dialogue. You know, and so that's that's that was my inspiration in terms of um, me writing my first record because I just I just feel like I you know I had so much going on. I just had to stop everything and just focus and, and write. And so that's what, you know, so that's how Ray Angry One came about. Is it like a form of outlet, like a journal or a diary for you? Um, absolutely. But you know, the thing about music for me, um, my process is, I guess it's therapeutic, you know, it's like therapy almost, you know, um, especially no matter what, you know, if I have something going on in my life. Music definitely plays an important role in me expressing whatever emotions I have going on, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my that's my process. When you look back now at previous pieces of work that you've done, how much of yourself have you put into them? Like, let's say if you play that music now today, are you able to immediately remember what mood you were in at that point or what emotional state you were in? It, because you put so much of yourself, is it like a complete snapshot of emotional and mental state? So that reminds me of Miles Davis. Right. <laughs> and Miles Davis said he, you know, when he records an album, he yeah. never listens to it. He's on to the next. Yeah. You know, once when I heard him say that, I was in college when I heard him say that, and that stuck with me. So whenever I write music, I write it and I let it go. And then I'm on to the next idea. Interesting. And so a lot of times people will say, oh, man, I love this. And, and I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh, who's playing pianos? <laughs> you, man. <laughs> like, oh, oh, OK. <laughs> a lot of times I forget, you know, some of the stuff I've, I've, I've played on. But um, I like to look towards the future, man, honestly. You know, and I don't like to because I, I, I never want to get complacent. I never want to be like, oh, man, I, I killed this, you know, listening to it all the time. I'm always trying to discover something new or learn something new. Um, so I try to stay in that space. So you think revisiting your old work would help you give a good sense of how much growth you've had and how much you've evolved over time? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think... Um, I think when you have, like, I look at Duke Ellington and, you know, um, um, who's just Duke Ellington. When you go to the record store and you look at his discography, he has, like, hundreds and hundreds of records, you know? And so I feel like even Duke Ellington, in the process of him creating and always performing, I think he was always looking looking forward, always reaching forward, always like developing new ideas. You know what I mean? So I think as an, as an artist, it's important to, to keep moving forward because your growth will be in the, will be in the body of work that you create, you know, like where you came from and, and where you are now, all of that will be in your, I think that's why recordings are so important because they show you where you are. I think Branford Marcellus said this, he said this once you know, recording is only a snapshot of where you are at, at that point in your life. Mm -hmm. 
Because, um, you know, a lot of times, you know, you're like, oh, I don't want to record this. I'm not, it's not perfect yet. You know, sometimes it doesn't have to be perfect, you know. And that's one thing I discovered um, recently, um, you know, working with Questlove. You know, I'm often, uh, you know, given very cool information, you know, <laughs> yeah. secret information, you know. And and one person that we both love, um, speaking about Questlove, Prince. And Prince, there was an interview that I heard or something. I can't remember somewhere, but but it was because of Questlove I heard this. And Prince was talking about his writing process. And, oh, maybe it was someone that I knew that worked with Prince, his engineer or something. They were talking about how he would go into the studio and he would just record. Even if it was, even if he made a mistake, he would just keep going. And so he has a vault, vaults and vaults of music that he's recorded that no one's ever heard of. But he's always writing and he's always recording. So, um, you know, being a perfectionist is... It hurts you more than helps you, <laughs> you know. So, uh, you know, so I like to look to the future. Is the whole point. You brought up how working with Questlove, you had this uh, moment of discussion and collaboration. You said in previous interviews when people ask you for advice that this is very cliched, but you have to dream big because you grew up listening to so many legends like the Isley Brothers. You ended up working with them. You got the opportunity to collaborate with Christina Aguilera, Lauren Hill, Prince as well. You, of course, had this long-standing partnership with The Roots. Which is that one encounter, this one collaboration, or this one time you met someone that has such a profound impact on you that you feel that like you still carry that memory with you today? Prince. Prince? What was it like? Man. <laughs> I was, um, he was in L.A. I was working with Esperanza Spalding at the time. Um, and he was in L.A. doing uh, 21 nights in L.A. at the Forum. He was doing 21 concerts um, with all different band opening bands. And I was with Esperanza Spaulding, Joe Lovano, Terry Lynn Carrington, Jeff Lee Johnson, um, just an all-star band. And, um, and we were opening up for Prince, and Prince actually joined us on stage. We played for two, I think we played one night or two nights. I think we played nice i can't remember but um so we end we end up going to prince's house prince was like hey perfect esperanza <laughs> had the band come to the house yeah. Living the dream. they text me prince's address i'm looking at my phone for like a good 30 minutes like wow i have the address for prince what the <laughs> fuck you know and so i go to prince's house i get there late because i'm still like tripping like i have prince's address i i walk in his assistant meets me at the gate. Oh, yeah, 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 we're ready. Yeah, come, come, follow me. And I'm just chatting with her. I look in the house. He has this space, this piano, this grand piano. Looks like a spaceship. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. The piano was purple. And um, so I go in the elevator and we go downstairs and the elevator opens up and there's like Sheila E. It's like who's who is in the room. Roy Hargrove was there. His dancers were there. Everyone was in there jamming. His whole band was playing. And Prince was playing keyboard and he sees me come in and he's, yo, I'm like, wait, he's, I'm looking back, you know, like, he's not talking to me. And he's like, yeah, you get in. And so, um, so he, so he brings me over to where he is. He's playing, um, just two, two, two keyboards and he's playing the bottom keyboard and he sits me down and play the bottom keyboard and he's playing the top. We're playing on top of each other and I'm playing stuff and he's like, Ooh, 
You know what I mean? Yeah. He's making these sounds. I'm like, oh shit, okay, I'm playing with Prince. And then he jumps on the drums and the party dissipates and that people are leaving and we're still playing. And so I'm on keys, he's on drums, his bass player's playing, I think she's from uh, Denmark, I can't remember her name, and and his vocalist, um, um, I can't remember her name. Ah, oh, she would kill me too. So many people would kill me <laughs> in this interview. But um, so we're jamming like we're at Madison Square Garden. This is like Prince. I'm in his house in his in his basement making music with him. This is like unreal. And then as I'm trying to leave, because I had a flight, I said, "Man, I gotta leave. I got a flight to catch." And so he's like, "Hey, man, you know, when he, you know, we say goodbye." And so I'm in the elevator trying to figure out how to get out of this out of his house. The elevator opens. He comes on the elevator, and he and I are in the elevator. And we're just like standing there. I'm like, I'm not saying a word. I'm not saying anything. I'm looking up. Man, yeah. yeah. And then he, he starts talking to me and we started chatting. And he was such a cool dude, man. And he said one thing that I'm so mad I didn't take him up on. He said, man, whenever you're in L.A., just stop by. You know, just stop by the house. I'd love to have you come by. I was like, oh, okay. And I never, I never stopped by his house. Why? So mad. You know, because a lot of times in the music industry, people say, hey, man, let's get together. And they don't really mean it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's why I was like, oh, oh sure. Yeah, I'll stop by your house, <laughs> Prince. You know, But now I'm mad I didn't do it, you know, because he might, he might have been like, yeah. Remember when right. you said it? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, what a That's why you got to dream big. That's it. You know, and when they invite you, don't doubt it. Don't doubt just, it. Just, just show, show up. up. That's it. <laughs> I'm learning a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a fantastic story. I would have loved to have been there. You also mentioned Questlove. I wanted to get your thoughts on this collaboration that you've had with him for so many years. Questlove in particular is such an encyclopedia of music. He knows the story behind every single song. I want to get your thoughts on what lessons you've learned from watching, watching Questlove, Black Thought and the rest of the roots and what, what lessons you've learned from them. Um, I, I feel like I'm always learning something from, from those guys, you know, um, Black Thought and, and Quest, you know, they're such, um, they're such brilliant, brilliant guys. They're just brilliant, you know, and I love that they, that they zero in, if they have something that they want to work on, they zero in it in on it with a, with a hawk's eye, you know, and they just dive and they just go for it. And I remember, you know, um, Tariq was working on this play, you know, he, and I saw him in the studio, I saw him in the studio working on it. You know, I might've played on one thing or, or, or another and, but seeing him develop his play and seeing him like chip away at it, writing, rewriting, you know, recording, re-recording stuff, and then to see him have such a successful play. And then with Questlove, I mean, his books, the books he was writing, I was do, help, I was helping him with the audio books. I was doing the music for his audio books. And to see him go from that to being an author to directing movies, and, you know, you know, he's always, they always searching for the next thing. Now they have 215 Productions where they're doing movies. You know, these guys are, you know, they're a blueprint for what a musician can become, you know, what an artist can become. Mm -hmm. Because Black Thought is one of the most prolific rappers alive, you know. And to be around him and to see 
and to see his elegance and, and, and to see him be um, both cool and brilliant, because those are two separate things, <laughs> you know, to him to have style and, and be able to dress, but then can like debate you on any, any topic, you know what I mean? You know, uh, yeah, it's just, it's great to be around those guys, you know. And also Quest, the thing I love uh, about working with Quest is I can't second guess myself. You know, if we're working on a project and working on a film project or whatever, and we got to get it done or we're working on whatever we're working on, we got to get it done. I don't have time to sit and be like, oh, well, it could be this or it could be that. You know, it's like, let's go. Boom. A lot of the records I work on with Quest is like, boom, first takes, really. Um, the first song that I ever recorded with him um, was um, Peace of Light. And um, and Kendrick Lamar ended up sampling this song. And it was the first song I, re- I wrote with The Roots. I recorded on their album, How I Got Over. It's one of the first interludes. And um, I wrote that song in like f- five minutes. Five minutes, you know? All the interludes, really, we just did it in one take, you know? And, um, you know, when you hear it, you'll understand, you know, the importance of that song. And and my relationship because that was the first song I ever did with him that was on record that was on recording and it's he and I and I'm you know playing bass I'm doing the vocal arranging on the song and it's just an interlude but it was uh it's a really great way to to um to work with Quest. How important do you think it is to have that encyclopedic level of knowledge that Questlove has do you think it adds an additional level of depth to your music or an additional dimension to the music? Um I think it's important on many different levels because number one, it 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 pays homage to those that put in the work. Yeah. Because there's so many people that put in the work that never get acknowledged. You know, so many people that that played on records. You you didn't even know that they're the ones that played or wrote the thing and and you know, and they're like, you know, a cab driver or something. You know what I mean? Or or whatever. Um and um I think it's important to just, I think history is important. So um, the, being an historian and a student of music is very important. So I, I you know, I, I'm, I would like to consider myself a student of music as well. Um, but I think it's important. I th- and I think that he's, it's great that he's the one that's, that's um, sort of ushering in this, this cultural um, awareness of, of our culture, music, music culture, black culture, and, and on such a deeper level. I love that you're such a student, always trying to learn. Let's add another question to it. What have you learned about the Tonight Show, having been involved with The Roots and having watched in close capacity? What, what has it taught you? What perspective have you seen from late night television and just that how that industry works? Um, it taught me that I want to do more of it. it taught me that i want to be on the other side of the screen performing my music on the tonight show like it's i think it's a great platform um and for me it's all full circle because when i was 18 i dropped out of school and i went on the road with this famous band called shy and we were in la i was living in la for like a year um, and I was like a sophomore in college. I was at, I was attending Howard University, and my professors were like, "You, 
you're not going to come back. You're going to go on the road and you're going to be like everyone else and, and don't come back. And I actually went back and got my master's, yeah. you know, our university <laughs> plug. Um, I think education is very important. Um, and that's what I discovered, you know, that performing and recording, that's always going to be there. Education, you got to put in the time, knock it out, you know. Um, and so when I was in L.A., um, touring with this band, my heroes were playing on The Tonight Show. It was uh, um, Jeff Tane Watts, Kenny Kirkland, Branford Marcellus. Um, these guys are my heroes, Smitty Smith. Um, and for me, a decade later, or two decades later, no, a decade later, um, I'm on The Tonight Show. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm like walking down the hall. I'm like, got my got my ID. It's, and it's like, you know, when I was 18, I was like walking down the Tonight Show halls as a kid. And my heroes were playing on set. And I'm like hanging out with them. And, and they're like, invite me to the house, you know? So it's for me, it's like, wow, this is amazing. You know, anyway, I love working on the Tonight Show. Jimmy's hilarious. And he was so... Um, he was so kind to uh, have me on the show as a special guest when my first album came out. You know, I thought that was very cool of him, you know. Um, and maybe when my third album comes out, they'll have me on the show again. Yeah, <laughs> You know. So, but, uh, you know, we're angry two or four. We're not sure which one is going to come out first. But um, I love being on, on the Tonight Show. I think it's I think it's very cool. And and also the other thing that's really cool about it is meeting all the other artists that are coming on the show. Wow. You know, a lot of you know country artists I got to play with. You know, or, or playing with the Chili Peppers, or playing with you know some famous comedian who's singing. You know, doing the the funny bits on the show. I think those things are you know it's it's, it's fun. I yeah. can imagine so many different. Not just music as well, watching Jimmy Fallon and the way he prepares for the show yeah. as well and kind of insights you can yeah. gain from that. And the staff is cool because it's like a family. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, you know, um, yeah, I, I miss those guys, you know. A yeah. family and an institution. Yeah. You mentioned how when Prince invited you, you never took him up on the offer. This reminds me of an incident, incident in your life. You were practicing in a dark room at the Blackburn Center at Howard University. Oh, wow. When the CEO of Black Enterprise, Earl Graves, walks in and he says, brother, if you keep doing that, you're going to be a problem. Yeah. And you've described in interviews that when you heard that, a part of you was afraid. And, yeah. And in the future as well, every time you had a project that was coming out, you're going to go in the limelight, people are going to discover you. A part of you was afraid. So I want you to expand on that. What is this uh -oh. fear? And do you think it will ever go away? <laughs> <laughs> so... um. I remember the first time I was um, 18 when I played in, in my first stadium performance. I was in Japan. It's my first first performance, um, and um, and I was on, I was playing with Shy, and we're on stage, and I just see this is what it sounded like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the fear. That's what fear sounds like. Yeah, and I see all these people, and you and you know. And it's just like, oh, my God, what? And I could not look at the people, you know. So I've always had this fear of 
just being in front of a lot of people and talking, you know, because I've always been practicing and kind of to myself, not not talking to a lot, not socializing mm-hmm. to a lot of people, just kind of just focusing on music. And, and so as you develop as an artist, you have to get out of that practice room and get into the st- and, you know, get onto the stage and perform and talk to people and talk to the audience, you know. And so I've always, always had a fear for that, which is why I spent my earlier years playing in bands because then I, I didn't have to do that. I didn't have to talk to anybody. I could just play keyboards yeah. behind <laughs> artists and be cool, you know. But now, you know, as, you know, as time progressed, people are like, wait, you should record an album. I'm like, no, 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 no. Maybe. You know, and uh, no, you should record an album. And so JMI, you know, the record company uh, that did my first album with, they forced me to do an album. And well, they didn't force me, but they they were like, hey, man, you need to do an album. And um, because I had done, I was playing on an album for incredible saxophonist named Steve Wilson. So I was playing on his album and I was like helping with some of the arrangements. And they're like, man, you got to do an album. And I was like, really? Okay. And so... And so then they were like, yes, you have to do an album. Let us know what date you want, you know? And so I kept saying, oh, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, I'll do it on, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you next week, you know, putting them off. And then um, and then I had to set a date. They forced me to set a date. So I set a date. Um, and then I was like, well, if I'm going to, if this is my date, then I have to spend this amount of time working on this record. And so that's, you know, and that's what I did. But I've always had a fear of being in front of an audience and just talking to people. Uh, But I think over time I've learned to uh, conquer that fear, you know. I mean, I'm here talking to you, and I hate talking. Yeah. No, I'm definitely asking the toughest questions. And you're asking some tough questions. <laughs> it's always good to know that people like you who are so effortless on stage that you also face that fear. It yeah, helps, it helps yeah, the rest yeah, of yeah. us, of course. Fantastic. Before we move to our final questions, I would love it if you can interpret what masterpiece you've built with the Lego and what do you think I've built? <laughs> so this is, a, this is a Fortune 500 home. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. With an indoor garage, you know. All the books. <laughs> <laughs> nice rooftop. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this, is a, this is clearly, this is a, wait, this is a duck. That's exactly what I was building. Look yeah, at that. it's a duck. Da Vinci is in the house today. <laughs> and you left something yeah, incomplete. This is a foie <laughs> Soon to be four Gua. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Let's move into our final questions. Yeah. What are some books, movies, role models that have strongly influenced you in your life? Ooh. Oh. Hmm. <laughs> books, The Power of Now. Yeah. That's a that's an amazing I mean, there's so so many books. Um, but um uh I would say Bjork is a big influence. I love Bjork. I keep talking about her in interviews because um, I'm calling her out. I want to work with her. You know, I think she's amazing. Um, and she's, she's such a, um, um, such a forward thinker. The way she uses music and the way she uses technology in music, you know, she's just brilliant. You know, she's a scientist, you know, and I love, I love that about her. That's what inspires me about her. She's a scientist. You know, um, 
And um, who else? There's so many people I'm influenced by. Um, I love Wyndham Marcellus. I think he's, you know, I think he's a living giant. Um, and all that he's accomplished, his body of work speaks for itself. Um, and uh, who else, man? There's so many people. Um, mm, um, I'm inspired by love, the idea of love. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's- In all aspects. Um, I think it's important. I think it's important to understand why you're doing something and the purpose. And I think it's all for love, you know, love for your family, love for your friends, um, love for your community, um, love for your country, love for humanity. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. You know? Um, Yeah. I think that's important. Yeah. Beautiful. If you woke up tomorrow and all music has been erased, Completely. Great. <laughs> do I still have, do I still remember everything? <laughs> Only you can remember it. Yeah, yeah. That's the thought oh, experiment. Oh, okay. Nobody else remembers it. I can remake and hits. This was the plot of a movie <laughs> called Yesterday. I'm not sure if you watched it, but a person woke up and only they could remember the Beatles and no one else could remember them. And then he started trying to replicate the music. Anyway, so the question for you is, you, work up, you wake up tomorrow and the entire world has forgotten music. No existence. The loss of which one artist's work would be the greatest loss? Ooh, that's a tough one, man. Only tough questions, I'm telling you. Oh, my God. What do you expect? Easy questions. Damn. (laughs) Oh. I have the perfect answer. Let's hear it. I would say Bach. Bach, yeah. Yeah. Why? Because... When you okay, I would, I would go back further than that, but I'm just gonna start with Bach. And the reason I say Bach is because you talk about hip hop and music and all these different things. Everything, like these Legos, represent music. They're all connected. When you put this together, when we put these different pieces together, everything on this fucking planet is connected and we don't realize that. So for me, Bach represents the idea of, of true counterpoint where two ideas exist in the same plane and they, and they morph into other ideas and those ideas morph. And now we have where we, where we are now, you have jazz, you have hip hop. To me, hip hop represents all of those styles of music. It represents classical it represents all these, you know, music from India, music from all over the world. You know what I mean? And so if you take Bach away, then you're going to lose a lot of music. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If there's no Bach, you're not going to have Mozart. You're not going to have Beethoven. You're not going to have Cherney. You're not going to have Jay Dilla. You're not going to have Duke Ellington, you know, because that that's the beginning, I think. You know, especially for um, Western society, you know, and, and, you know, and so, yeah, I would say Bach would be the toughest. Music is standing on the shoulder of a giant, Johan Bach. Yeah. Imagine that, the impact that he's had on music. Think about bebop. You know what I mean? You wouldn't have bebop 
We are back. So many different like branches that sprung <laughs> out from the work that yeah. he's done. Fantastic. Everything's connected. My point is everything's yeah. connected. Wow. You started this interview talking about this vision that you have for the music industry. Paint the picture. What would you like the music industry to look like 50 years from now? <laughs> Musicians and artists would be superheroes. There would be never be stories about artists saying, "Oh, they don't they didn't get their money or they yeah. this one stole their publishing or you know, this record label, you know, you know, they I did not say too much." <laughs> but um you know, I just, to sum it down, I just feel like it'd be great to be in a world where artists are paid well for their work, period. Writers, musicians, um, just like the writer's strike, you know, the writers, they're fighting for fairness and wages. Yeah. The musicians... We aren't fighting for that. We just, you know, we got a gig and we're going off to the next one. And we're writing music and, we're, you know, we're part of different camps, you know, who have big brands. And, you know, you're pushing the sound of the brand. And that often leaves you at a point where you don't make any money, but that person owns all your music, you know, and you just help them do that. So anyway, I would just create an even playing field because I feel like, there's enough money I have for everybody to, you know what I mean? It's like, how many cars do you really need? You know what I mean? I feel like, you know, I, I just want musicians to feel like superheroes and not die, um, you know, broke or, you know, you know, your family's got to do a GoFundMe, you know what I mean? And this person, musicians would have touched so many lives, but yet their lives don't get touched. You know what I mean? So anyway, I would love to change that. That's a lovely vision. Yeah. Dr. Raymond Angry Senior once said that, do your best, leave the nest, and forget the rest. Wow. So in that spirit, what would you like your legacy to be? How would you like to be remembered? Um, my legacy, I would like to, uh, first of all, leave an enormous body of work that, you know, that... Um, shows diversity, that shows uh, compassion and empathy for people. Um, I want to be able to write works of art that tells important stories that need to be told. Mm -hmm. um, I want to inspire generations to come to, um, to reach for the stars and anything is possible. Um, and uh, don't let anyone discourage you from your dreams. If you want to be a pianist, you got to put in the work. You can't let your cousins or your aunts discourage you from doing so. They're like, oh, stop making that noise, you know, because <laughs> um, that noise becomes um, really joyful once the universe and everything conspires along with you to give you um, uh, a beautiful, um, a beautiful sound based off of you, you trying to uh, discover those sounds through, you know, any means necessary, practicing. Practicing is very hard, you know? And sometimes, you know, it's, you know, it's not beautiful. You might sound like shit, you know? But you keep working, you keep working, then all of a sudden things just sort of come together. Um, so um, I would love for people to, you know, just be inspired by the things that I'm working on or the things that I'm creating or uh, cultures that I'm trying to put together. 
through producer Mondays. You know, that's my dream to to uh, to have interesting collaborations between cultures. Yeah. You know, like, uh, you know, you know, you know, Japan and Australia and and, and um, all these traditional instruments. We talk about tradition and oh, and and, you know, and but building off tradition, you know, and 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 um meshing cultures together traditional instruments you know from in from india and in japan musicians playing together that normally wouldn't play together i think that would be amazing i think you're definitely on that path yeah also producer mondays as well you're definitely bringing it all together yeah it's a lovely vision a lovely legacy final question what do you think is the meaning of life raymond angry love is the meaning of life i think uh um, um, I know that's a very deep question. Um, I think the meaning of life is also self-discovery. Um, and it's also conquering, um, your inner demons, so to speak, you know, conquering those things that, those fears that, that stop you from being the best version of yourself. Um, and I think, um, the meaning of life is, is also about sharing space and ideas with other people so that you elevate each other, you know, um, and discover things together. I think collaboration is so important and, um, you know, so I think, you know, yeah, you know, collaboration, self-discovery. Um, but that, to me, that was, all of that boils down to, to understanding what true love is, you know, and having love for everyone, everybody, including yourself. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. I'll stick with love. Stick with love. The great John Lennon once said that love is always the answer. Oh, he said, and, really? And, and you know that for sure. Oh, wow. That's oh, cool. Yeah, he sang about it wow. as well. Yeah, yeah. Ray. Thank you so much. If people want to connect with you online in person, find out what you're up to, what your next project is, where can they do so? Um, on Instagram, at Ray Angry. On Twitter, at Ray Angry. Um, uh, my website is rayangry.com. Um, you can find me on Spotify. You can find me on, on, <laughs> on Tidal. You can find me on Pandora. You can find my music is everywhere. Um, and yeah, that's, yeah. Lots of places find Ray angry. Ray, thank you so much. It was an honor talking to thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, hopefully, uh, next time I'll make something <laughs> amazing. <laughs>